Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. The history of the nurse anesthesia profession suggests that regardless of the challenge or crisis facing it, the right person at the right time with the right message was chosen by the membership to lead. This segment of our podcast is entitled The Courage to Lead. We are pleased to highlight some of these contemporary visionary leaders. We want to express gratitude to all and give encouragement to those that will accept the challenge in the future. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. My co-host is Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, past president of the AANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles in the association. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs. We recently went on a podcast recording blitz at the ANA meeting in Chicago. We conducted lots of interviews with some of the industry's most interesting people. All right, Sharon, one more time here in the Windy City up in Chicago. That's it. Deja vu. We're at the AANA Annual Congress. Yes, we are. And Sharon, we have one more guest with us this morning, part of the presidential series that you came up with. Well, you know... You've got to look in the rearview mirror to be able to look forward. Now, granted, the rearview mirror is smaller than the windshield going forward, but it's important to know what's happened in the past. So who better to talk to than past presidents of the AANA? I think it's great. I mean, I've learned stuff that I had no clue about, and I think it adds clarity to your average CRNA out there. So along with us this morning, we have Dr. Bruce Weiner. Welcome, Bruce. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing now, you know? Sure. I'd love to. I originally grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, one of the small states within the regions of the ANA. Got my undergraduate degree from the University of Delaware in nursing and knew exactly what my destiny would be going into nurse anesthesia. So worked for one year in critical care and then went to the Medical College of Virginia in Richmond and got my master's degree in nurse anesthesia in 1984 and here I am now 35 years later loving everything that I do practicing clinically in Tampa Florida 
Two years ago, I went back to school and earned my DNP from the University of South Florida. So now I'm engaged in academics, teaching professional aspects at the University of South Florida along with simulation and love every bit of that. Uh, and I do that on a part-time basis, but mostly practice clinically in several ambulatory surgery centers and a couple of acute care hospitals as well. Well, I don't think that I knew that you were from Wilmington, Delaware, Bruce, and I thought I knew you fairly well. Well, yeah. yeah. I just knew you didn't I'm have the accent. The, I'm, I'm one of those few, but I back that actually live in Delaware. But I've uh, of the three people there, yeah. But Dale from Delaware, yeah, you and Ron, one other person, Ron Castaldo, maybe. No, there's a lot more. That's right, yeah. Ron. Sorry, honey. Yeah, yeah there's a lot more than of uh, them that live there. But I actually have lived in the South more than I've ever lived in the North. So last night at the A and E Foundation event. I was having a conversation with someone, and they picked up that I had said, you know, what are y'all doing? Well, <laughs> that's common language for me. <laughs> so how did you get to Florida? Uh, my wife got accepted to graduate school there, okay. so we moved there 28 years ago and set up roots, and that's where we're staying. Well, very nice. You learn something new every single day. Well, let's talk about your year as president, and you were president... 2018 through 2019 yeah it was just one year ago so it seems have you overcome the, the ptsd yeah <laughs> <laughs> seems like it's been a long time seems like it was almost yesterday right. but it's it was a great honor to serve this association and i have been engaged in leadership or committee type activities with our association since getting out of school and that's one of the things that when I talk to students that I try to impress upon them the importance of becoming involved in your national organization immediately after graduation. Well, that's very good advice. So let's talk about some of the things that happened during your year as president. So you're on. Okay. Well, you know, when I first took the reins, one of the things that I was starting to see that there was starting to be a fracturing, a division of our membership. You know, we all, as all associations, you know, one of the things that I've learned from attending the ASAE, the American Society for Association Executives, that you know, where most or almost all professional and trade organizations are members, is that they suffer from membership apathy. And part of it is engagement, part of it is really what your mission is and whether you are aligned with the mission of the organization and exactly what is the mission of the organization and how do you come up with that mission. And so I started to look and see what could I do to help improve membership engagement and at the same time improve recruitment of newer members into the organization and retaining the members that we have. And a big part of that, I think in conversation that I've had with you in the past, Sharon, is that we have to look at our why. Why do we mm -hmm. exist as an organization? And I went back and looked at watchful care and, you know, read some things out of that. And, you know, 
when the ANA was originally chartered, you know, the purpose of the ANA was to represent and mm-hmm. give a voice to to the members, to the CRNAs, and at the same time to be a service-oriented organization that would provide the necessary services and resources for the members that, you know, belong to that organization. And a big part of that is also directly when you talk about the why is it reflects in, you know, Simon Sinek's mantra of why do we exist as an organization? So I wanted to, you know, my whole thing when I first came on board as president and in my opening remarks to the membership was to say that as an organization and also as a leader and facilitator within the ANA Board of Directors, it wasn't about what we think you as members need, but it is going to you and finding out what your needs and issues are and addressing them. And that gets us back to the why. And so a lot of the activities that I did last year were kind of reflected directly on trying to meet that objective. And I'm not quite sure whether I would call that my legacy, but I mean, my goal throughout the entire year was to, I don't want to say stop the bleeding, but to try to prevent the attrition of membership that we've seen in the organization. And that's a whole different topic Mm -hmm. to talk about, or it's definitely something that we can even touch on lightly here, but we're losing membership in the zero to 10 year time period, but our greatest attrition is in the zero to five years post-graduation. And, you know, unfortunately in my own state of Florida, close to 400 and some new graduates out of about 1,600 or 1,200 to graduate each year are choosing not to be members of the association. And why is that? And how can we affect that? How can we improve those numbers? And so there was direct communication with program directors and engaging programs, especially in that state. And I mean, we can always have, you know, the most robust professional development programs or role development programs in schools, but you really have to socialize students to the association so they see for themselves the value in being members and I'm a baby boomer I'm not a millennial and one of the things that join the crowd (laughs) except for Jeremy and and one of the things that millennials want I mean I have one myself I think you have three three are they millennials or Mm. I mean I have a gen xer and then I have a millennial but when they need a resource that's when they seek it if they right. need if they need some type of service then they seek it then they don't necessarily belong to a club or association for the benefits of whatever they may right. offer and that's a generational and culture change and that's something that we need to you know as an association that I know that we are addressing and part of what I was doing last year in recognizing that if you're going to engage membership you need you need to communicate and we've tried multiple different styles you know in your presidency you know we streamed our meetings and we did video and 
fireside chats and I tried to do something with that. I'm not a big video person, you know, to do <laughs> But you got a the, radio the, voice. Yeah, but to to do real, you know, video type fireside chats, but I used multiple different social media venues to continuously inform the membership of what the association and what the board was doing. Um, now, what I hear you saying, we've all heard the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But I believe, Bruce, you took this to the next level and you made it the platinum rule, do unto others as they want done to them. In other words, you were meeting the members' needs. That was very important to you. And you're not pushing what you would want done for you. So you took it to a whole other level, Bruce. So we're going to call you Platinum Bruce. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I have other labels that have been given to me, I'm oh, sure. Well, anybody who's been president yeah. of this association has gotten lots of <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure about that. But, you know, I tried, you know, I did Facebook Live. Uh, I did that. I remember at, that. I was at one know, of those meetings when you diff- did that. At different meetings where we did it. And that engaged the audience, whether it was at, at the time when it was called the Assembly of school faculty just kind of popping mm-hmm. in during uh, Angie Munn's presentation I Angie's on the board and doing a Facebook live actually I say I did it at mid-year assembly brought the student that I was mentoring mm-hmm. on to into the front of the membership before I gave my presidential address we tried things such as uh, we did a Twitter chat we did a couple Facebook chats live we tried to use the ANA Connect platform to do some kind of live town meeting as well. I and it, that. And, and it just wasn't me. It was myself and Randy Moore as CEO and also Gary Bridges as president-elect and making ourselves available as well as having staff available to be able to answer whatever those membership needs were. You know, I constantly communicated on Facebook and you know, you sending out really emails. I tried to get out there, and you, you know, were good at it. It was a little different style. Media. I mean, you sat down with your dinner that Pierce would bring to you, and you would. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would I always looked for where's that fireplace. <laughs> um, you know, um, so exactly. Actually, it was Cormac O'Sullivan's idea for me to do the fireside chats huh. because that's what Roosevelt used to do, and. Cormac was sitting at a table with me at a meeting and he slipped me a note and it I, I was hoping it would say do you want to be my girlfriend yes or no but it wasn't <laughs> it just said um you would be very good and you know I, you're exactly right I think each president has their different style but also what I hear from you is talking about leadership development ensuring our pipeline so you changed up what used to be called FLA. Tell us a little bit about that. And that was one of your ideas during your presidency. Sure. So, you know, when every year when attending Fall Leadership Academy, and again, for those that may not be familiar with that, that's where leaders from around or leaders or potential leaders from state associations come together to gain greater knowledge in how they can be more effective to bring greater organizational and operational effectiveness to their state associations. And we weren't capturing 
the audience that we really needed. We weren't meeting our maximal potential Mm -hmm. in making people developing better leaders in our association. So there were several different ways that we could do that. We could do one-on-ones, which was going to, which is, you know, physically impossible. We were already doing large assemblies. So the next thing was to bring that leadership training closer to where those individuals reside. And so taking that idea and we ran with it and developed a, we call it the show on the road, Mm -hmm. leadership development series that over the past year and a half has met in five different major cities around Mm -hmm. the country where they have attracted full boards from state associations that have come and engaged for a weekend of some pretty intense discussion on how you can be uh, understanding governance and leadership, how you can be a better leader and also, again, as an organization, not getting wrapped up necessarily in all the operational issues, but how you can strategize to move your organization and the profession forward in your state. And the reviews that we've gotten back, the feedback we've gotten back from those that attended those meetings has been overwhelmingly positive. It was funded through the ANA, and this year they're taking a little different approach, mm-hmm. doing a leadership summit, but there has been talk, as I understand it, to perhaps having a couple more regional sessions to try to bring those the leadership closer. Mm-hmm. Well, Bruce, you know, the ANA likes to say that they're member-driven. How do you interpret that? Well, I think that uh, aligns with the why of uh, why we exist, and that is that it's the ideas and concepts that the members bring to the organization. One of the things that gets confused is member-driven doesn't mean member-directed. And or member-run. Or member-run, and that's why membership elects a board of directors to make mm-hmm. those decisions. And membership doesn't always have all the data that board members have. And I think it's enlightening when there are individuals that believe they know what's good for the organization. And that goes back to my opening address to the membership that the board of directors should not give the members what they think they need, that they should give the members what they want. Well, if you have just a small group of individuals that think they know what it is that the ANA needs, how do we know that? You know, it's all about data. It's about having the evidence. That's one of the things that, you know, I brought up at the ANA business meeting this past week is that you can't make a decision unless you actually reach out to the collective membership. And so the ANA, we did that. And a good example of that is listening last year that there was a push by a few members to, to add in a descriptor nurse anesthesiologist. And they wanted to take it big. They wanted to make it very big. And so how do we know how that is going to within our practice settings, how is that going to sit? And so I developed a task force with some of those individuals that were bringing that concept forward, but also had a hospital administrator on the task force. I had a board of nursing chair on the task force. I had a former president on the task force. 
and I had a chief CRNA of a very large academic ACT practice on the task force and allowed all of them to you know, to kind of pull some information and data together and then bring those recommendations to the board. And ultimately, the board decided that and made the decision to make it an alternative descriptor. So, you know, nurse anesthesiologist in some clinical settings may be a great term to use. I get it. I use it. And if somebody asks me, what is it that you do for a living? It's easier for me to say I'm a nurse anesthesiologist. They understand that. Sometimes when I say I'm a nurse anesthetist, and I'm very proud of our title and our heritage, and I would explain to them, but when I say I'm a nurse anesthesiologist, they go, oh, okay, well, that's really great. Get it. And they get it. But within the, my clinical settings where I work, I have the highest respect for the physicians that I work with, and I don't want to create any confusion within that clinical workspace. And so I choose my battles wisely and know where it's appropriate and where it's not. Exactly. You've talked about being kind of guided by Simon Sinek. Great books for listeners. Please go and watch his TED Talks. He has another book, Leaders Eat Last. So I hear you saying that he influenced your leadership style anybody else or yeah well no mostly him i mean i never even knew anything about him until i was serving on the board with you sharon and you know you spoke so highly of him and and then i found out he was in college with our aana council mark silverman Oh, really? Did you know that? No, I, I never did. Well, wow. <laughs> so when he came and was one of the, uh, the keynote speaker in your presidential year, and that's where he talked about leaders eating when leaders eat last, he was highlighting that book. I was really blown away by his description of effective leadership style and The whole thing within the concept when I talked about engagement and communication is that Sinek talks about the danger zone that our members or our association is in a circle and everything external is considered the danger zone. And when individuals are not getting the information that they need, they kind of start like crossing the line into that danger zone and how do you keep them safe? And so that was one of my goals and, you know, in trying to determine what we as an association really need to keep out and what we need to do in order to keep our, to stay within that safe zone. And a big part of that was creating this membership engagement, retention and recruitment task force. And it was chaired by Heather Rankin, and she really ran with it at the same time, you know, to engage members. You know, I put out a call to the collective membership. If you're interested in serving in this committee, you know, let us know. Here's a, you know, we created a page for them to fill out an application. 
and we made a selection of individuals across the all the sectors of membership so that there would be representation mm-hmm. from students and military and program directors and younger practicing CRNAs and older practicing CRNAs, seasoned CRNAs. There you go. And to get their opinion and at the same time get a lot of feedback on what are the best channels to communicate. And, and they reached out to people that are no longer members and tell us why you're not and what can we do to get you back into the association and also to members that might have become a little disenfranchised and what is it that we need to do as an association to create greater value and the whole thing about association membership is having a value proposition mm-hmm. right why should i be a member why should i pay 645 dollars a year especially if my employer is no longer paying it there's got to be value and so we took all that data brought it back and this year the board and you know randy moore have been using that information and putting it to work and trying to move us in a different direction well it looks like you also dealt with some reimbursement issues during your year we just finished talking with cheryl and she talked about some of the things that happened during her year so Give us a, a little bit of information about that. It's always about the money. Right. So whenever we hear, you know, again, it's reaching out and hearing from the members where their issues are. And you know, we have a very small sector of membership that practice interventional pain members, mm-hmm. uh, pain management. But it's extremely important to us as a profession because there are a lot of opportunities for all of our members to delve into you know providing some type of pain management services so we have had issue in the past with medicare administrative contractors specifically nova uh, at one point it was neridian i think it was in your year Perhaps we're once no, here. Okay, but we were having some issues with Neridian, and then we were able to get over those. We were able to get over those issues of having those max uh, reimburse CRNAs for epidural steroid injections. So then Novitas came along, and they wanted to not reimburse CRNAs for facet injections. And we were at the point, and I think it happened It happened under Cheryl's year, you know, the year prior, and we were ready to pull the trigger and take them to court. And at the very last minute, we did not. We pulled back. And they were misbehaving again. And so we were ready to do that as well. And we basically, you know, had some discussion and dialogue with them and met with their leadership. And that dialogue continues to this day. But the good thing is, is the CRNAs are getting reimbursed for their services, and we continue to address that. But there are other MACs, and that's Palmetto. And so I think one of the big wins this year is that there's a, a MAC or Medicare Administrative Contractor Advisory Panel. And last year I went to Washington and met with CMS, and one of the things that we tried to continue to impress upon them is 
is that we really do not have any voice in how they propagate rules, but yet our members are providing those services, not just physicians that sit on their advisory panel, and it only seems right that we should have some kind of voice. And so now this year, the Medicare CMS has heard us loud and clear, and we have a voice at that table now. That's a huge win for us. It is a huge win. So that we can directly address when those issues come up. What is it? If you're not at the table, you're You're on on the the menu. menu, Right. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the other thing is that, you know, and even when I traveled around nationally, MIPS and MACRA, when you say to your audience, you know, how many of you know what MIPS and MACRA is? They look at you like you're talking alphabet soup. They have no idea, but it's directly impacting how we get reimbursed and having an understanding of that. And so we really expanded upon that program and providing resources and trying to educate members that now you as an individual provider, your quality measures, you know, how your patients are doing, whether they have nausea and vomiting post-op or they're hypothermic or they've taken their beta blocker or not, are all being tracked. And if you don't meet those measures, then ultimately you get dinged by CMS to the standpoint of almost minus 12% of reimbursement. So if I was an employer and I was going to hire you and I saw that you were, you know, one of those individuals that are not going to be reimbursement or payment neutral from CMS, but actually there's going to be a reduction because of your lack of attention to quality, I might reconsider whether I'm going to hire you or not. But a lot of practices are moving towards alternative payment model systems, APMs. And so we spent resources and brought in consultants last year and looked at how CRNAs, again, instead of being the meal or the menu, can be at the table in in discussions of the formation of APMs. And the ANA this year created a webinar series. And I was really excited to hear that more than 700 CRNAs have actually participated in those webinar series and to be better informed. And so we're moving in the right direction in terms of people understanding that it's just not about turning the dial on your vaporizer and pushing a little bit and pushing some drugs, but it's understanding what your value is and how you can increase it. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Oh, I mean, the I've, numbers guy. <laughs> I, well, I, it, we did this series with Randy, uh, and it was the what if series. What if the ANA didn't exist? You know, in my financial background, I'm always equating things to numbers, and I deal with folks every single day, and their life is based upon numbers. Um, it's what does it mean for me, whether that's retirement, whether it's paying off their student loan debt, whatever it is. And I've always said there needs to be a way that we could explain to people exactly if this went through how's it going to directly affect me and i think if the organization again my opinion could do that and quantify that i think you would have more folks that really valued and probably increased membership and sharon knows you know i think the asa has done a great job with this to their member physicians and they've said you know what these mean crna nurses you went to school you came out of school with five hundred thousand dollars in debt and they want to take your job 
They want to take that $450,000 your paycheck away from you because they think they can do it better than you. And they've quantified that back down to their membership. And they have the largest right. pack in the country, right? Right. They've okay. taken everything to the micro level. And they have. And I think that's something that needs to be done through the ANA somehow. I don't know what the answer is because I'm not involved in the inner workings. I just look at it from the outside and I look at the CRNAs that we work with all across the country. And I hear from a lot of them, I don't like the political stuff of the ANA. That's not what I got into this for. I'm a nurse. You know, I want to go in and do my job and I want to go home. But what if that $187,000 average annual salary, you came in one day and the anesthesiologist got what they wanted and they said, you know what? Now your salary instead of 187 is 100. That gets people's attention pretty quickly. Absolutely. So it'd get mine. Well, yeah, and I and I think that those are things that need to be talked about. You know, you don't want to fearmonger and scare people, but really, I mean, what would happen if some of these things that you guys have spent your career fighting for, what if you wouldn't have done that? What if those things would have happened in the ASA or whoever would have gotten their way? What does that mean for this membership? So that's just you know my little take on well, it. Well, and that whole piece of what you just talked about is getting the millennials, uh, the, the individuals that were losing out and being members that don't understand that. Right. But when they are affected in some way, shape, or form, then it's like, oh, gosh, w- what is the ANA doing about right. this? Well, you're not a member. Right. Well, that's one of the reasons, too, that we're doing this series is exactly what Jeremy just said. What if you would not have been there to take care of these issues? What would your profession look like now? And people don't know what other people have done. So we're hoping through this series that those who weren't around or the new ones in the profession know because Bruce Weiner was president and he dealt with these issues. He did right. these things that my profession is the better for it. Right. And we're not doing this so Bruce can come in here and toot his own horn. I mean, that's not the purpose. It is to get the message out there of what leadership looks like and why leadership is important. Yeah. I, and I, so it can be emulated. Yeah, I like to kind of share the story that, you know, when I was graduating in 1984, and, and obviously this is all written up in Watchful Care, but when the ANA was working on the pass-through amendment for Medicare right. Part B, and there wasn't a lot of professional development type of lectures that were given in programs back in the 80s. Some program directors were offering it, but not a lot. And I was getting ready to graduate and found out that, I may not have a job because there might not be any avenue for reimbursement for my services. And, you know, my gut reaction was, well, what the heck is Pat- this guy, Patrick Downey, who's president right. of the ANA, <laughs> who's president of the ANA, what's he doing? I mean, and again, I really had not been socialized to the association until my, you know, to the very tail end of my senior year and then recognizing Patrick Downey who is a legacy in our association and profession and what we did achieve in getting that pass through Mm -hmm. and so it's no different and people just they again uh, that's why I hate to say you only know what you know 
but that's why I felt it was important in my presidential year to try to get as much information out through as many different venues as possible to let people know the things, the good things that we were doing for them. Exactly. Well, we did a podcast with Sandy Marie talking about when they got third-party reimbursement for CRNAs, which changed the entire landscape of our profession in 1988. We stand on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. And if you're not involved, when something does go wrong, that's not the time to get involved. You've got to pave it along the way. Is there anything, as we kind of wrap up here, Bruce, that you would have done differently during your presidential year? And if so, what would that be and why? You know, I think um, I could have done a little bit, a little better job in really collecting evidence from the members on some issues i think the the thing that and i took i accepted responsibility for this that you know one of the things that occurred had that had occurred year after year after year is the fact that membership comes to a business meeting with a resolution and then it's their expectation that when a resolution is moved forward that the board of directors has to they are they have to abide by that resolution um, but there is some conflict between what our resolutions say and what our articles of incorporation how they are written and every year as a board of director, we're advised of, you know, basically, uh, you know, whether to, you know, implement a resolution or not. And for the most part, the board of directors has always heard the members and implemented the things that they've wanted in a resolution. But I wanted to get rid of that conflict. So it was something as simple as just changing a few sentences, a few words right. within the bylaws so that it would clarify exactly what a resolution was. And, you know, we had a bylaws hearing at Mid-Year Assembly, and it was read out loud, and there really wasn't any comment. And as we got closer to the business session, a lot of people started to feel that we were taking away their ability to be member-driven by not giving them a voice, and that had absolutely nothing to do with it. So the lesson learned there was that... In any action that you do, there's got to be direct communication, even leading up to whatever that action or final action may be, whether it's a change in governance structure that we're looking at right now, our culture assessment. That was one of the things that I implemented in my presidential year, that you've got to update people what's going on. And we felt like we did communicate with you, but we didn't communicate to the level that we should have. And I think a a good quality of a leader is to acknowledge and accept that responsibility. And I did that, you know, and I put that out to the membership that, you know, I apologize for this. I felt like we were doing the right thing, and I recognize now that it was not done in a manner that it should have been. And so, blame me. I'll take, well, I'll this take is the this is the reality, Bruce. Anybody who sits in this seat as president, everything you do, you do with the best intentions. You, I would challenge, have given more to this organization than lots of other people have. And any decision that you make when you're sitting in this seat will affect you the next year whenever you go back to being 
a CRNA and not AANA president. So whatever presidents, whatever happens during their year, nothing is of malicious intent because these are the people who have given their life's blood to the organization and have put in countless, countless hours into this community. And it has always befuddled me why people think that the leaders of this organization doesn't have the best interest of it at heart whenever they've given so much of their time and spirit and passion and sometimes to the detriment of your own self you know you sometimes can't get a job you had to change jobs during your year because all of a sudden they don't want the president of the aana working you become a lightning rod you're not kidding you are not kidding many presidents either lose their job or have to change jobs after their year as president so there's so many sacrifices to be made to serve in this sure, position I, and it's a good thing i mean it's an honor you started it off by saying it was an honor every single president that we have talked to has said that it was one of the highlights of their lives and it was an honor and it indeed is yeah right i mean i had to give up my job before i even became president that's right they already were uh, they after already. you <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was probably the best thing that happened to me because I, again i went back to school i went back to school full-time and got my dnp and did it in a year oh one my year bless uh, your heart so that was a huge achievement and i was prepared to lead and then to devote almost but my you know, making being president a full-time job mm-hmm. and then working on the side a little bit because I really wanted to give it all to the association. So well, you've I don't been rec- giving it all I, for a long well, time. I, we Bruce. all we all have, you know, and you know whether it's the influencers in our association or those that have served in leadership, uh, past presidents like yourself and and I, and so I don't regret anything at all, you know. And uh, it's just it's been a great ride. It really has, and. I will always be here. I always will be part of the ANA family. And, you know, I think all of us as former presidents are that reasonable voice that this association still needs so that not only do we just bring a historic perspective, but I think having served for so long and have fought all the battles, while they may have different titles, there's more or less still the same story, mm-hmm. that bringing that perspective and that voice of reason to the current leadership of the association and to the membership at large, I think is still is needed in order for us to uh, advance ourselves, but make the wise choices that will advance us, not harm us. I agree. Well, I think that's a good note to wrap it up on. Dr. Bruce Weiner, we would like to thank you for being here today. It's been an honor to sit here with you and listen about the years of your presidency. And Sharon, this has just been such a wealth of knowledge to me as an outsider to this organization or somewhat of an outsider. So, But I think that's a wrap. It is. Yeah. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you're a fan, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate us. Leave us a review. It's 
long as it's positive we want no negative feedback <laughs> and please share we'll take episodes. constructive criticism uh, no, you've had enough of that too. We're, we're good i'm not saying it was constructive <laughs> it was criticism oh <laughs> uh, and please share our episodes on social media we really want to get the word out it's a wrap Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.